Welcome to the water trough where we can't make you drink, but we will make you think. My name is Ed Drost of The Small Business Doctor, and I'm really excited you chose to join me here as we discuss topics that are important for small business folks just like you. If you're looking for ideas, inspiration, and possibility, you've come to the right place. Join us as we take steps to help you create the healthy business that you've always wanted. Hello, folks. This is Ed Draws to the Small Business Doctor, and welcome back to the Water Trough, where I'm joined today by my good friend, John Dustin. John is a resident of Foxborough, Massachusetts, a wife and four kids, round out his immediate family, and a wonderful little doggy, as I recall. Pardon me, three dogs. Two dogs. Two dogs. And John is the CEO of JED Insurance and a member of the Optimal Collaborative Consulting Group. John, welcome. How are you? Ed, great to be here. I'm excited to work with you on this. I'm so glad to have you, John. And the reason I brought John on board is not only because he's a great guy, which he paid me to say, by the way, and that was lovely. I appreciate that he did. But he is a well-experienced, self-employed businessman of many years. And John is going to talk today about the general business environment that we work in, those of us in small business. And I think the insight that he's going to offer will be incredibly important. While his is the insurance industry, keep in mind that the things he's talking about are germane to you in small business, whatever it is you do. You need to apply a certain filter to make things fit distinctly to what you do, but his information is uniformly of purpose and of value for all of us. So John, please, let's get into this business environment. What's going on out there? I think this is sort of unprecedented for many people currently because we've not had an interest rate environment where you can actually make money on CDs and money market accounts. We've also not seen interest rates for commercial lines of credit and loans at 9 or 10%. We've not seen property values escalate and inflate the way we have. We have not seen commercial properties be vacated in cities and they're dormant and landlords are trying to figure out, do they keep it commercial and hope it comes back? Do they go mixed use? Private equity has slowed down a little bit, but that was driving the values of businesses up. And certainly COVID had a major impact on employee culture, retention of employees and how people do business. So I think it's been a macroeconomic storm for a lot of people. A macroeconomic storm with very potent microcosm effect and impact on those small businesses, yes? Exactly. Everything's moving differently than it has before. And we also have baby boomers maturing. And the culture of work-life balance has shifted certain industries, accounting, law, So I think there's a lot of different things going out there across the board in various industries that are impacting a business to operate, grow, or perhaps they're going to move on and retire and try to find. And another thing that's occurring, which hasn't really never happened, is people are doing second and third careers. So for many years, like our parents, 
one career their entire life. Now the younger people might do something for five to seven years, try something else. And there's a lot of opportunities out there. There's a lot of opportunity, but what's your impression? What does that do to the brain trust in industries at large when people are changing their industries throughout their lives? I think it depends on the extent of the technical aspect of the business. So I will use insurance as a general parameter for the conversation. Insurance is fairly technical. And in the commercial side, you can't know everything today. And you certainly learn on the job and by experience and different situation, claim situations. So to leave the industry in three to five years and go do something else, you haven't even cracked the sort of professional level that you would have attained several years ago. I think a lot of people are investing in education example, legal, medical, and then finding out it's not for them after three, five, or seven years and going doing something entirely different, which is an interesting investment. <laughs> and certainly, I think the educational reform on the cost side would benefit people. But to your point, I don't know that you ever established that real solid industry person that can mentor and is a great resource for the community, et cetera. So let's take yourself, for example, when you're looking for a insurance professional to come into the organization and you have your typical means of screening and recruiting people, but what additional sorts of investigation do you have to make at that point to get the kind of persons that are going to be able to get to that level that you described? So Ed, we have changed how we recruit. I don't do the recruiting anymore. I outsource it to a, not a headhunter, to a professional recruiting. They talk to them a few times. We have two different tests. One is a customer service assessment. The other is a sales assessment. We try to take people with what we consider the key drivers of success in our agency, empathy, diligence. We have multiple rounds of interviews separate tests, depending on someone's going to be a service versus sales. Certainly, we try to find out about the person. We use social media. We try to investigate them a little bit. And nothing is foolproof, but I think we've done a much better job of securing people that want to grow and stay with us. Okay. Our retention has improved. Your retention has improved despite the fact that these things are working against you. Is that what you're saying? Well, I can't take credit for it. When I could not obtain a resume for about a year. I then moved to a professional recruiting firm. Okay. And she had different ways to attract people and was actually looking at different things that we were looking at. You know, we'd run an ad, wait and see. She would change the ads, make them crisp all the time, put them in different places, put them in different social media pockets. And I think she attracted people that fit. She also changed the language of our ads. <laughs> Okay. Which, again, one of the things I always tell a small business is stick to the proximity of customers, stick to the work you're doing and get rid of everything else. Because you're not an expert CPA, you're not an expert recruiter, you're not an expert uh, cyber liability person, you're not an expert technology, install computers, phones. So we outsource a lot now and it's given us a great deal of depth. And I think that's a really great point. There are a lot of folks that feel that they can, must, or should do everything alone. And you and I, and the vast majority of us know, that's not possible. 
nor is it practical. But I do want to add that despite the fact that you're outsourcing, you still have to be well-equipped to give those professional resources the things they need to be able to do their job. It's not enough you just say, go ahead and do it, because then you won't get what is of you. Well, you have to have a complete understanding of the, your operation, the culture you're trying to create, your customer base. Again, if you have all those things aligned and then you bring a professional in and interview them and outsource it, you generally get a very good return. Right. It's a partnership, but the business owner or business folks have to come to that professional aptly prepared. It, it even, and add the small business doctors, great with questions and guides people. So you probably see this all the time. Oftentimes you go into a business and I do this on a risk strategy side. I'll say, what's your vision? Where do you want to be? What are you trying to accomplish? What are your goals? And a lot of people really don't know. They're like, well, I've been doing this for 25 years. I do the same thing every day. It's not working. It's not whatever the case is, or it's working, but I don't want to change anything. I think it's a critical point in time based on where we are in the economy to recognize you need to do something, whether it's increase your sales, add a new product line, enhance your customer service, maybe try to buy a company. And that's going to be a challenge with the interest rates and private equity and the competition. But right. at least recognize where you're going, where you've been, and what you want your actual outcome to be. Now, I say that because twofold. One, it'll improve your company. And secondly, we all want to potentially transition our business at some point. Okay. Internally, for sale. You know, if you build up a lot of goodwill and you love what you do and there's value in it, you should mm -hmm. be able to either move it to another generation, maybe bring it to key employees, sell it to your competitor that you collaborate with. So that's another thing. I think it's important to collaborate with like-minded professionals all the time mm -hmm. because A, they're a resource and B, they can help you get to where you need to be at the end of the day. Okay. Let's talk more about that. Let's talk about the collaboration part, because I think a lot of people find that spooky. If we talk to somebody else in my business, they might steal something from me. They might give away my recipe. They might a host of things. I've heard a lot of stories. So let's talk about that collaboration with others in your field. I'm a person that tries to be an operational resource to my clients. So I can't be just what you said before. I can't be everything to the business. I can't be everything to my clients. So I try to find like-minded professionals that mirror my ethics and my education and my experience, but maybe they do something a little different so that if my customer has a need, I can hand it off and be confident they're going to be handled correctly. Or if I'm having an issue within the industry and the agency, I'm comfortable enough to go and say, hey, how would you handle this? Now, you really have to do your due diligence because there are givers and takers in life. And you have to identify who you want to be with and what kind of circle you want to surround yourself with. But oftentimes, you'll find within an industry some great resources, some people that are willing to mentor and help, and they feel good about it. And that's an important thing for both you and them and your business. I would take a step further. I think it's really important to collaborate with other professional resources around your business. So 
accountant, M&A attorney, business planner, whatever the case is, business coach, so that when your client has a need, you're totally comfortable, you like and trust them, and you can bring them in and help that client solve the need. I think we go back to the Bryant University talks of the trusted advisor with Charles Green. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. The value of trust. We can't underestimate or over-preach that, can we? What's interesting, John, you talk about the collaborative effort, the due diligence that's required to make it effective, much like you do with engaging with professionals directly to help you out, such as the, the gal who helped you in the recruiting and marketing for JED. The big takeaway here for these two elements is that you, the business, has to be prepared. You have got to do your homework. You've got to know what you're talking about, what you're looking for, and you've got to be firmly able to articulate that to these people so that you don't mistakenly take the first thing that comes along, thinking you're going to fill in the blanks and find out later, it didn't quite work out too well. And you have to be willing to sacrifice on the other side. So if you have a great resource that's helping you, and then they come to you one day and said, Ed, I need assistance with a significant HR matter, and Ed is sort of the doctor around that, solving a personnel issue, I got to be open to wanting to take your help and give you help. I can't make it a one-way street. Right. And even when you're working with, as a good example, trying to acquire a business, right? Mm-hmm. You want to try to find, in my opinion, and I know a lot of these larger venture capital and private equity companies have a lot of money and they're just doing roll-ups. But if you're a small local business and you're looking to do an acquisition, doesn't it make sense to find customers that fit what you do and a principle that fits your sort of model of what you're doing, as opposed to someone that's 180 degrees different? It does. It makes sense. But again, it's something I think people need to be reminded about because oftentimes people are looking for more, shall we say, shiny things such as more money over on this one and more prestige on that one and overlooking the fundamentals that will make it work. Don't you think? Yeah. And I think that's a good example on someone doing an exit strategy. So a lot of times someone will be selling their business and they'll go to their trusted advisors and put all the bids together. Some people automatically go to the highest bid. So if you're walking away and you never want to be involved again, and you don't have, if you if you didn't have much of a relationship with your customer, maybe that's okay. But if you're somebody that says, you know what, I want to stay a little bit involved and be available if customers need me, you better make sure that your culture meets their culture. They're going to treat you with respect, and that you get an operating and an employment agreement that works. And it's Absolutely. not just about the money at that point, right? Because you, they all could be in the same range. It's really, again, about doing the due diligence and getting your professional team, your tax people, your M&A attorney, your employment attorney, who's going to look at the employment agreement to determine which is the best situation for you if you plan on continuing to work or be available for customers or whatever. If you even care about those customers, they're more than just an income to you. <laughs> yeah. And I think the way inflation has occurred and the cost of everything is hypersensitive pressure to make short-term profits everywhere. And I think it's going to really impact the country at some point. Let's talk more about that. Keep going. So, you know, 
I talk about this sort of target where you want to be, right? So sometimes you have to maybe invest in technology, invest in people, educate them. I think a lot of times, even with bigger businesses, there's so much pressure to perform in the quarter or the short run that people make really bad decisions, which are going to impact them later. But for that moment in time, that picture in time, the balance sheet looks great. But a year or two later, they bought the wrong system. They didn't hire the extra person. They tried to get rid of work that they didn't want to do because it was going to cost them some money. So I think you have to think long term. And I think, like I said, this whole sort of macroeconomic situation is it's been so challenging with the lines of credit going up and loan rates and mortgage rates and the cost of rent and mortgages and supply chain issues and employees. The pendulum may swing, but it's been in favor of the employees since COVID. Right, right. One of the things I think about when we have these kinds of conversations is the sales quota process. And I think one has to be very careful to balance the need for quantity and quality. The number of effect, you know, closed sales versus the quality of those sales. That's my mantra. So I only work with nice people. Okay. So when you're in that suspect prospect chain in the sales system and you're trying to grow organically, you don't have to take everyone. Mm -hmm. And you try to take the people that are going to benefit. They're going to get benefit from you and you're going to get benefit from them. And it's a partnership relationship. Not, oh my God, I got a quick commission, but I never want to deal with them again. And I think to your point, I think a lot of sales reporting and data intelligence is built around quick returns. It's quantitative, metric-driven fast, but it's not qualitative. So there's two sides to it. I always say when I meet with customers and they tell me all the reports they get from their salespeople and stuff, do they read them? And what's the value add? No, and no, I'm dead serious. I'm not laughing at the question. I'm laughing. I'm wondering if they really do read them. How many times have you been in a sales role and you're filling out a report and you're thinking this report is meaningless? <laughs> this is filling up a sales manager's day. Yep. Are you better off telling them to get better instead of suspects, get real prospects and work them over time and try to find high quality accounts? Or are they out there just trying to throw stuff against the wall to see if it sticks? Because if you throw it against the wall and it sticks and they come and they don't like it, they're going to leave. So your retention goes down. So it is a balancing act. There's an equilibrium you have to reach. Right. Absolutely. What else have you got for us? I'm intrigued so far. I have to tell you, these things are, I'll go so far as to say, maybe they're not rocket science, but they're not the kinds of things that people always think about. These are the subtleties that make or break us. I think... And I want to stay on the train of thought of long-term commitment. And I think companies have stopped training people, many companies. And I think what's going to happen is we're going to have a shortage of knowledge workers or people that can actually do the jobs. Now, on the reverse side, a lot of people will tell you to get no applicants because no one wants to work. That's another new phenomenon, right? Even entry-level jobs that were filled by students over the summer, college students, high school students, those places, the Dunkin' Donuts that have to close their lobbies, the restaurants that can't open during the day, all of these things have occurred as a new sort of paradigm. We never saw that. No. 
it is a new paradigm and i honestly don't have a clue as to why it has come to be that way because we all need to have a source of income the college student who's on break needs it as much as the person who is raising a family it doesn't go away even along those lines i'm a complete fan of dashboards and data managing mm-hmm. with data but i'm not convinced when i haven't studied it and i don't profess to be an expert but i think a business trying to build a culture remotely using just data and not having people in an office and knowing each other and being able to go to a senior mechanic and learn how to do something. Mm-hmm. I just don't see how in the long run that's a good play. Now, maybe I'll be proven wrong. And I do think certain industries avail itself to the ability to not have to be in an office. Mm-hmm. I don't think my industry is one. And I think the service levels have suffered by all of these sort of, you know, you don't have to come in and more than one day a week and we're just going to track your work. I just think training someone remotely is really difficult. I think certain industries avail themselves to the capability of being remote. But I don't know that you can fully train and build a culture when People don't have a mentor, a local presence. They don't know the culture of the company. I think it's going to remain to be seen what the value of hybrid and remote work is. Now, there are people that love it because it takes a lot off their plate personally, and I understand that. I'm not sure on the business side is an equivalent return. And you probably see some of it yourself. I think, as you said, it's going to take time. Time will tell. We're accustomed to the way it has been for so long. It's hard to envision that it could be as effective. I think time is a big factor here, whether or not we can adapt appropriately or not. And I've seen people who have, who have adapted quite well. I look back to my students during my tenure at Bryant University. During COVID, there were individuals who found it to be very awkward and, and suffered in considerable ways. And there are others that thrived in the environment. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of individuality there. It hasn't gotten to a point where it's fleshed out so that everybody's on the same page. I think I just have to go with you when you say time will tell. We'll see where it goes. Yeah, And I think measuring all of this, I do think there's no short relief of interest rates and all of that. So I think businesses should plan, strategize, try to figure out where they want to be. Maybe they don't end up there, but they end up in a better position than doing nothing and losing ground. Right. And I do think a lot of people should reach out to resources for help as opposed to what you said, try to do everything themselves. Right. And the need for that is probably becoming more and more acute as there are some pretty big factors impacting them these days. Let's talk, let's, the best example, cyber liability. So how does Ed Draws, a small business doctor, going to be able to defend himself against cyber attacks? We don't know enough, right? So you outsource it to a professional who does MFA, endpoint protection, proof point, firewall, endpoint, all of the tools. But you yourself, I don't know. I have a professional team that does it. And those are the things that are requisite now to running a business, even accounting. I have so many people that say, oh, my records are a mess. Well, why are your records a mess? Because if you go to do a transaction, you're going to pay a fortune to correct them. 
get a professional bookkeeper account in on a regular basis and keep it moving. And then you know better how your business is performing as opposed to reacting right before a transaction. Right. Trying to put out the fire in order to be able to see the room in front of you. <laughs> yeah. I think being proactive is better than reactive. Well, and again, there's no guarantee, even if you have a professional, but the point is the soft cost of your time to try to figure it out and do it yourself and your inability and lack of experience and knowledge, so much better served to outsource it. That's a recipe for distress, not thinking that you can find somebody to help you when you don't know what the heck you're doing in the first and, place. And I think a lot of businesses could conduct what I call a value chain analysis. And that's where you look at everything you do and you only retain what's close proximity to the customer. And you make a list, whether it's cyber, technology, bookkeeping, accounting, even certain people now find vendors that do purchasing and project management you make a list of the things that you're not good at and you focus on the customers and allows you to get more customers, retain the ones you have. And another good example is HR. When people tell me they're creating their HR manual, I'm like, well, have you been to law school? You know, the state statutes. Are you going to be able to explain PFMLA? Because most lawyers have a tough time with all the provisions in there. So to me, that's another good example of offer letters, COBRA letters, all of that can be outsourced at a reasonable rate to somebody who handles it correctly. Who knows what it is, what it means, and yeah. can ensure you to be able to use it properly and effectively mm -hmm. in your business. John, this has been fantastic. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time. And I really believe you've left us with some really great insights. Is there any closing remarks you'd like to make before we wrap up? I think take some personal time for yourselves, everyone, over the summer and get ready to hit the ground and running. <laughs> John, thank you. And I'm sure you'll be doing that as well. My name is Ed Drozda, the small business doctor. I, again, am very grateful to have my guest here, John Dustin. And until we speak again, I wish you a healthy business. Thanks, John. Thank you.